One thing I will recommend to you though is we tend to avoid things that we don't know about. Please challenge it head on. A really good indication is obviously if your bank account keeps going down, your cash flow negative, you need to have a look at your pricing and also at your expenses. Making sure you charge everything out that you're paying for the job. Um, try and avoid mate rates because you still have to pay it. Um, and look, every business owner appreciates that business is business, it's not personal. That was Miriam Hutton, founder of Future Proof Concepts in Rotorua, New Zealand. And in today's episode, we're talking about profit versus cash, the difference between a tax deduction and expense, how to manage drawings from your business, what is depreciation and how you should be looking at it, to lease or purchase, what should you do if you're buying business equipment for your business, how to charge your worth as well, tips to help you charge the rate you deserve, how to add margin to your quotes to ensure your business can actually grow, how to claim back sign written vehicles and expenses that you may not know how to do, how to keep on top of projects using things like Zero Projects and Workflow Max, and why you need to plan out your cash cycle for the year, aka a cash forecast. Welcome to the New Zealand Small Business and Entrepreneur Festival podcast, delivered to you by DHL. Kia ora, how are you? Kia ora, I'm good, how are you Craig? Nice to be back. It is, very good to have you back on board, I'm good. Thank you very much to get into this podcast. So today we're going to talk about three topics that I feel like are pretty broad, but um, we've talked in advance and you say you've got this locked and loaded. So the first one is profit versus cash. What is the most common mistake that businesses make? Awesome. So profit and cash go hand in hand in a business. So if you're not profitable, your business is probably not as great. If you don't have the cash flow, your business is also not as great. So it is a hand-in-hand sort of situation, but they're still quite separate because you can be in a situation where you have a lot of profit, which is what your tax is calculated on. So ultimately you're paying tax, but then you could be in a situation and quite a lot of startups get to that point that they say, but I don't have any money in the bank. So the question I get asked a lot is, how come I have to pay tax? And the reason for that is, is that there is a balance in terms of your spending and your transactions. So I'll give you an example. Um, mm-hmm. Like I just said, your profit is what your tax is calculated on. But not every transaction out of your business bank account reduces your profit or increases your profit. So I want to just break it down just a little bit in terms of what is all forming, forming part of your profit calculation. And that's usually your trading income. Uh, or turnover and an expense in the business because that sits in your asset register. It forms part of your net worth in your business. And so we don't deduct it. That's sort of the term that accountants are using. It's not a deductible expense in the business sense. Um, The only part you can deduct of your income um, of purchasing a piece of equipment is depreciation. And depreciation is just a fancy word of um, allocating the cost of an asset or a piece of equipment over a period of, of years. So depending on the lifetime of you, so if you, I say, if you purchase a van, if you're a painter and you purchase a van and it costs you $30,000, that $30,000 is sitting as a, an asset in your balance sheet. And all you can really uh, depreciate over time is the cost. So we would divide that cost of a van over a number of years. 
and that's the only part that you can deduct. Um, so there's one myth when people come to the end of the financial year, they say, actually, I've got quite a bit of profit here. Uh, let's buy a piece of equipment. It's actually not reducing your profit at all. Uh, the way you can reduce that is by if you if you use stock to you know manufacture things, you could purchase a, a, or you know do bulk order of stock before the end of the financial year. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I don't want to get into too much detail, so <laughs> I'm not get a bit um, carried away, but. Uh, yeah, so when you also take drawings out of the business, so that's in particular the business startups. In the beginning, you will not know how much to pay yourself or how to pay yourself. And usually people just take drawings, and that just means paying money or transferring money out of your business account into your personal account um, if you're not on wages and not paying PAYE. And those do not reduce your profit. They just become a loan from the business to yourself. Um, essentially, I think that's the easiest way to describe it. Um, so what other expenses do not reduce your profit? Tax expenses, um, loan repayments, like I just mentioned, any payments to you personally, if they're not set up as a wage, that all does not include um, or doesn't form part of reducing your profit. So that is one of the reasons why businesses may not find the cash on the bank when they have a profit because they may have taken too many drawings mm -hmm. or they have got too many loans that they have to service. So whatever they're making does not, is not enough um, in order to stay on top of the cash flow. By any means, cash flow is always king. Cash is king, right? That never changes. So good if you have a lot of cash in the bank and you may not have a lot of profit which usually doesn't happen um it's usually the other way around but yeah does that make sense it does make sense i've got a few questions yeah, about go what, you've, what you've gone across so <clears throat> let's say we talk about a vehicle right and mm -hmm. you said appreciate that vehicle over four years and then the end of your after it's been depreciated for four years let's say you bought it for um thirty thousand, and now mm -hmm. it's depreciated down to 8,000, but it's still worth 22K if I wanted to sell it right now. Yeah. What do I do then? Because I don't want that vehicle anymore. I want a new one. Yeah. Um, but if I sell it for 22 um, and I depreciate it down to eight, then that means that there is, oh, let me do math, $14,000 of I've made. So there'd be a capital expenditure. It's not a capital gain. So it's only a capital gain if you get more for it than what you're initially paid for it okay got it yep and in new zealand we do not um get tax on capital gain mm -hmm. we're not talking about properties because that's a little bit different again but in terms of equipment you do not get tax on capital gain however because in your example it's not a capital gain it's actually a recovery of the depreciation mm -hmm. so you haven't depreciated you know it's, it's worth more than what you've depreciated it and you will get tax on that recovery so in other words, you get taxed on the 14000 or whatever the difference was. Um, and yes, that, that forms part of your profit. At what rate do you get taxed for that, do you know, like um, roughly? That's an interesting one. So that depends <laughs> on what business structure you're running. Mm -hmm. If you have a company structure, the flat rate is 28% mm -hmm. on your profit. Uh, if you're a sole trader, it really depends on the level of income because individual tax rates are staggered. So up to 14,000, you pay 10 and a half tax. Up to 48,000, you pay 17 and a half. So 
it's sort of staggered depending on your income level. Yeah. Got it. Cool. Mm. Another question about that then. If you yeah. feel that that whatever that asset is that you've brought is depreciated down to a cost and you can sell it for more, can you buy it off yourself and then sell it? You can, but you have to still pay it to or buy it, um, sorry, sell it to yourself at market value. Mm. So you cannot say oh, you, know, you can't sell it at depreciation value. So it doesn't really matter. You okay. cannot sell it to yourself um, for the book value. There's no, there's no way around it. No, there's rules around that for exactly <laughs> that reason. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Okay, yeah. we can't do that. No, just kidding. The other question I did have was about drawings. So the drawings, so you, you, you take, you're giving yourself some some money just mm -hmm. to keep you keep paying the bills. You know, everyone's got bills. And at the end of the financial year, those drawings become a loan, or can mm -hmm. they, or could your accountant um, code it as salary or something like that? Could they? Yeah. yeah. So if you are a company structure, and you are not paying yourself um, a wage, you're just taking drawings. Like you say, you are having a loan from the company, mm -hmm. and we're trying to offset this. Like you do not want to be in the position that you, um, the company borrowed money to you you want to be in the others other position that you basically lent the company um, for a few reasons one the company has to charge interest on the loan to you which creates mm -hmm. income in the company which increases your profit um, and two if the company has a profit you want to allocate it to the shareholder individually to offset that loan that was taken as drawings during the year but also as individual like i just said you may actually pay also less tax than the 28%. So that is something that we do quite commonly, that we allocate shareholder salaries after assessing the company's situation. Um, if there's a profit, we we go, you know, if you had $30,000 profit, um, which you pay 28% tax on, um, we would all allocate that as a shareholder salary if you haven't already taken wages um, to offset the drawings that you've taken during the year, or at least part of them, depending on the level. Mm -hmm. Um, because for the first 14 grand, you only pay 10 and a half. And then for the next um, 16,000 to get up to the 30, you pay 17 and a half percent tax. So you're paying yeah. way less tax. You're offsetting the um, drawings that you've taken. So you're still paying tax on the drawings by converting that, but way less. And you're also reducing that loan that you've taken. Cool. Yeah. So from the individual's point of view, who's taken the drawings, mm -hmm. um, let's say the start, let's say it's me, right? I'm giving myself drawings. Do I and do I have to do a personal um, tax return saying that I got those drawings as my salary, or or, or how does that work? So no, what you're doing is um, you as drawing like drawings are not taxed, so you don't have to include them in in your individual return. You will only include them and they're only taxed um, once the accountant allocates it as a shareholder salary to you. Mm -hmm. um, if you're a sole trader. Um, which doesn't have the distinguishing, you know, entities. So the sole trader, you, the business. You also do not return the drawings in your individual tax return. All you return is your net profit. Because as a sole trader, you you are taxed as an individual anyway. Uh, so there won't, you know, there won't be any distinguishing. Um, the way it's accounted for is a little bit different. It actually forms part of um, the equity in the business. It's not a loan to or from the business as an individual. So drawings are not taxed until it's converted into an expense in the business. 
mm -hmm. um, which is the shareholder salary, and then it's allocated to you. But yeah, regardless whether or not you're taking a shareholder salary or not, as an individual that's part of a company or as a sole trader, you always have to file an individual tax return as well as the company's tax return. Yeah. Cool. Cool. That's some very good information. Thank you very much oh, for that. Nice. Good. So the first question was about profit versus cash and the most common mistakes. Mm -hmm. So we've spoken about that. We've spoken about, I suppose, some ways to, to not so much work around, but just to, to better understand um, the drawings, um, yeah. ex expenses or assets. Like if you buy a car or what, what, like, let's talk about vehicles again for a second. So yeah. <clears throat> if you're a starting off business, like like a lot a lot of us are and we need a vehicle to move things around whatever they might be whether it's yourself or just team members tools bakery yep. goods what, whatever flowers whatever in the first year do you think it's better to buy the vehicle or lease it because if you lease it then can you claim that back as an expense mm -hmm. good question so there is a little bit of uh depends one on your cash flow if you don't have any money you may tick up a car so you know go to UDC, MTF or whatever and say mm. you know I want I want to borrow that car um, or purchase that car I would always recommend depending on what your um, future plans are so a vehicle obviously you can sell again um, the advantage of leasing a vehicle is that you can claim the GST each month if you register for GST as well Mm -hmm. um, and it sort of gives you a little bit of a break in your cash flow. So you have small amounts that you pay each month. You can claim them regardless. Um, and you can claim the GST each month as you pay the lease. The disadvantage is you do not own the vehicle in the end. So you have nothing to sell. Um, the advantage of uh, borrowing money to purchasing a vehicle is that long-term debt is always cheaper than um, buying it out of cash flow, especially in the beginning. Um, the other advantage is you can claim the GST at the start, so for the whole lot. Mm -hmm. um, you can't claim the repayments of the loan, but what you can claim is the interest uh, mm. because the loan forms a liability in your business. So you, you're reducing that liability by repaying it, but the interest portion you can claim. Uh, the disadvantage of, um, I guess, borrowing it is just that you can't claim those repayments. And that will then form part of, it doesn't reduce your profit, but it reduces your balance in the bank. So yes. it really depends on your cash flow. And that's where I would say when you say, okay, what are the common mistakes? People see the money coming in and they do not think about the future of where that money needs to be spent. And that is by repaying loans, by uh, having to pay tax, by having to replace that vehicle in the future, you know, all of that sort of stuff, because we see money in the bank, we're spending it, we, you know, it may break even, you're like, oh, cool. But then you go, okay, I actually need to replace that vehicle. I haven't planned for that. I actually have to pay my tax. And because those payments aren't regular or ongoing, you forget about them until you get to a point where it's due and you're like, oh, God, now what do I do? Yeah. So I guess in terms of leasing or purchasing a vehicle, it depends on if, whether or not you can make those repayments with money coming in. Um, and also, I guess the disadvantage is some finance companies want you to make a balloon payment on um, when you receive the first GST return because you can claim that GST straight away. It's quite common that they want you to pay that 
lump sum straight onto that loan um, and then just do your regular payments. So, yeah, it just really depends on what you've got coming in. <clears throat> and I suppose it doesn't matter whether it's a vehicle or a new dishwasher or uh, um, um, a bandsaw or whatever it is. Yeah, yeah, whatever sort of equipment it is, the same principle um, applies here. You can either lease it and if you can, that's the, maybe a better option for you or purchase it or get a loan for it, which is at a better rate. And then you can claim back on the interest, yeah. um, but it's still loan. So if you're getting, getting cash coming into your company, that is an asset. A hundred percent. So one, also one really, um, a rule of thumb is for any piece of equipment, um, it should pay for itself within the first three to six months, depending obviously what it is. But it should pay for itself. So any piece of equipment that you purchase, you've got to in include that when we talk about pricing and you know how to charge your work. Um, these are all things that you don't see straight away as physical money that you need to pay. But it one repays your loan, and two, it, it also plans for replacing that piece of equipment in the future. Yeah. Awesome. That was epic. I really, I really enjoyed that conversation. There. Let's move on to the next, the next part, which is how to charge your worth. And yeah. I'm, I'm going to add a little bit of a, a um, an underlining question for that one as well, because your worth three months ago is is different to what it is now because of um, everything's gone up. Like yeah. everything, the petrol, diesel at the moment is ridiculous. Yeah. Like it's the worst op option for a vehicle yeah. now, and it used to be the best. And you still that, and that may have been in your quote originally, but now it's changed. So, um, how do you? What, what's your definition? The definition of how to charge your worth? Yeah, that's a good point you're making because when we talk about how to charge <laughs> your worth, it's actually your individual labour rate. Mm -hmm. um, so there's two parts to when you start pricing your services or products. One part is what you feel you experience. Um, is worth and what you feel your time, you know, ultimately your personal hourly rate is worth. But that's not the only thing that you're charging out. The other things that you're charging out are things that you don't have any control over, like your supplier, your petrol, whatever it is, um, the piece of equipment. Like I've got clients that actually charging um, before that machine actually leaves the garage at their workshop, it already has a charge out rate on that machine because they know it costs me that much to actually get it up and running. Mm. So when you talk about charging worth, people say to me, I don't know how to set my hourly rate. And I go, well, think about when you work for somebody else and you may have earned, I don't know, 30 bucks an hour. But they have paid um, out of that because you don't get that 30 bucks. You pay your Kiwi server, you pay your tax and, and, and your ACC levies out of that. But when you're then all of a sudden running a business and you're like, okay, now I actually, I'm on the phone 24-7. I also have to train everybody else around me. I'm doing the quoting. Like you think about all the different hats you're wearing all of, the, all of a sudden being self-employed. Um, and as a rule of thumb, I usually say three times as much as um, what you think you want. So if you were working for yourself, and um, you think, actually, it's probably 50 bucks an hour or 30 or 40 bucks an hour that I want to earn because you want to improve from where you were, right? And you go three times as much. And then people go, are you serious? And I'm like, well, look, you've got to think about your downtime. You've got to think about all the other expenses like holiday pay, KiwiSaver, your taxes that you have to pay. 
um, your premises that you need to run, all of that sort of stuff all of a sudden becomes part of your hourly rate. So before you set your hourly rate, you must know your numbers because that determines everything. You must know how many of the hours are chargeable for starters. So if you're working 40 hours a week, do you charge all of them? You know, are you doing one day admin work or um, are you doing another day quoting? That doesn't get paid, you know. So all of a sudden you already have a lot of time that's not chargeable. So you've got to really build that in into your chargeable time. Um, especially in the beginning when you're on your own or you only have another person with you, you think about where you're actually operating out of, what does it cost you? And when we talk about knowing your cost, there's two different components that I usually look at. One are the variable costs or direct costs or cost of goods sold, whatever you want to call them. They change in proportion to the amount of sales or income that you're producing. So in other words, if you get if you're a plumber and you get a lot of calls, then obviously your vehicle costs will go up, the material cost of purchasing, purchasing pipes and toilets and whatnot will go up. Um, so depending on you know the amount of sales that you have, your costs will go up proportionately on that. But then there are other costs like fixed costs that are there regardless of whether or not you make a dollar that month. So that's your rent, that is your insurance, um, that is any loan repayments that you have to make, uh, that is also your taxes. Um, other fixed costs, are, I don't know if you have any software subscriptions, computer expenses, you know, stuff that you just have ongoing regardless. Electricity, just keep the lights on. So these costs, before I even talk to people about what to charge, I say, what are your costs? And that's the fixed costs that I start with. That gives you an idea of um, how much money you need to make. But then you also add, you say, okay, as a plumber, about 30, I don't know, 30, 40, 50% of my income is actually used to purchase material. There are certain benchmarks, and as a plumber, you'll know, or as you know, if you're in that industry, you start understanding of how much margin you need to put onto each piece of material that you're using. And the margin really also is there to cover your fixed costs, not just the cost of your piping, just using that plumbing example. Um, so this is really where I would recommend, because none, like not all size fits all, I really recommend you guys to sit down with either an accountant or even a bookkeeper, or you go to IRD, they've got really good cash flow forecast um, resources there, where you have basically a template and you type in the stuff, and that prompts you to think about things like replacing your equipment, how often do you need to do that? Like I've got arborists that as clients and they have chainsaws. They constantly need to be replaced. All of that sort of stuff needs to be built into your charger array. I could talk about this all day, but I don't. <laughs> That's um, interesting stuff. It's good. It's really cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so in other words, how to charge your worth, you want to know what do you want to earn yourself um, and then times that by three as a rule of thumb. Then you look at, okay, what are my competitors doing? Um, a lot of people go in and say, I can't possibly charge that. And what I want to say to all of these people is, you know what you're doing, so it's not a big deal for you to just quickly do that job. 
But other people that engage you, they don't know how to even start because if they do it themselves, you know, they would if they could. Mm. So what you do is very profound and it gives them a peace of mind. So when you think about why people should pay that is because think about the benefits for them. Don't think about your own ego. Just think about what you bring to the table for these people. It's a peace of mind. They know the job is done well. And that all comes down to your reputation. And after a while, you understand. And also when you get really, really busy, you can probably um, appreciate that you are in demand and you're doing a good job and people do not mind paying a little bit extra. So don't be afraid of putting the pricing up. Especially when you find that it's not covering even the basics of your business. Profit is not a dirty word because it enables you to put it back in and improve your services, improve your um, your planting equipment, put it back into staff, hire more people and so forth. Um, that's more most of the hesitation that I find of new business owners. They think what they're doing is not worth a lot because it doesn't take them long. It doesn't matter how long it takes. It matters what the experience is. That's why it takes you that long or not that long. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it might not take a tradesman or, or person long to build a deck. Yeah. Like it might be a week. But if I did it, mm. it would take a whole year. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so but I wouldn't then, want to do it. And, you know, some people say to me, yeah, but then I send them the invoice and they're like, you've only been here for an hour. And it's, you know, and I'm like, that's that's cool. And some people, you know, that's a fair question. But if you have trouble actually arguing that it only took you now because you had years of experience, you have good tools, you have good craftsmanship, and it will last you forever, you know. Yeah. Um, it, like, don't let that intimidate you. People have the right to ask you, but you it's your choice how you react to that. doesn't yeah. mean you have to believe, you know, that it's not worth what you've done. But that's only one proportion of your charge-out rate. The other part is the wood, the material. And that's where it gets a little bit tricky because when you're quoting, you actually don't know if that price is going to be the same by the time the quote is accepted. Mm. Um, and it's really good to make a note in that quote or don't quote at all. I have clients now that do not do any more quoting because they say, one, I get the job done for you faster than if you're waiting for a price. But also, the material um, costs are constantly changing. So I can tell you roughly how much it is based on our experience. Um, and usually, um, people are quite happy to do that, you know? Yeah. I've got a couple of questions that come to mind. <clears throat> One's about, so there's, like, let's just talk about, like, trade tradesmen people as, as an example. Mm -hmm. I always actually think, like, it might seem like they're expensive. Yeah, but and I was talking to some of my, my friends the other day. Go, man, you got a you got a truckload of tools that mm. you use as well, in addition to your time. Yeah, and if I was to go out and hire all those tools to do it, it'd cost way more than that per hour. So I, I feel that that's not sometimes affected into the into the um, hourly rate as well. Yeah. Um, also, um, there's the, your hourly rate. If you've got a business and you've got let's let's stick with carpenters. Mm -hmm. You've got 10 staff and, and you're charging them all out. You're clipping the ticket on everyone because, you know, that's just what you do. Yeah. Um, but then there's the company needs to make money too. Yeah. So there's a margin that you need to add on top of everything as well. Because yeah. if you want to get scale, get bigger or, or mm -hmm. have a valuable company, you need to have margin for that too. So do you think that's people don't think about that as well? 
100%. So there is this um, misconception, like you just said, you're clipping the ticket. And and actually a lot of traders that are working for, for a company, they feel unfairly paid because they know what's charged out. But what they're, a lot of the time what they don't see is that the company, like the remainder doesn't go into the owner's pockets. The remainder makes sure that the vehicles are safe for the tradesman to drive in, that the tools are safe and up to date and sharp, you know, to get the job done. They're also making sure that they're paying everybody the holiday pay, the sick leave, um, the downtime that they're not working because they obviously also have administration staff. They also have the rent to pay, the lights to keep on. So mm. most of these um, extras that you you know charge in the hourly rate, they do not get in the in the um, in the pockets of the owner. They stay within the business to keep the lights on mm. um, and keep everything ticking along and replacing vehicles and put sign writing on it and. You know, that's all part of the business um, that a lot of people don't see. But if you don't see the van with the sign writing on it, you won't necessarily call them to do the job for you. So there's so many different aspects to every business, like marketing, administration, operations, um, accounting. Like the accountant needs to be paid, you know. And so most of these things are staying within the business, plus the tax that needs to get paid to IRD. So at the end of the day, out of the say you pay you pay $150 for an hourly rate, um, what's staying as profit in the company is maybe 20 bucks of that. So, you know, no, actually not even that. <laughs> Mostly not even that. I might be slightly different in terms of my for my own business because yeah. I, I feel like I wear different hats when I'm doing different things. Mm -hmm. And I have different rates for me doing different jobs as well. So if I'm doing a consultant work for someone where I'm, the work that I'm giving, providing them is going to make them potentially millions of dollars mm -hmm. in the future. Mm -hmm. That's a different rate to me digging a hole. Well, I don't yeah. dig holes, but for me putting up a marquee for an event, I don't charge out the same rate because that's unfair. Like I'm not going to. I'm the same. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I, call, I call them different tiers for different types of jobs. 100%. So for example, I've got a staff member and she is a, a graduate student or she's still studying and she's, you know, learning the trade of being an accountant and things. She has a completely different rate to me, but also within my own rate, um, and I won't charge out the same rate for her, um, but also within my own rate for my business coaching stuff, that rate is actually a lot higher than me doing the accounts mm. because that comes with my experience and with me in the past, what we are in different hats in different industries that, you know, I've worked in. Um, not everyone has that experience. And that's why I can come across a lot of different industries to advise people. Mm -hmm. But within my accounting work um, and with zero being such a game changer in our industry too, what I'm actually doing is applying the tax law in the end and making sure, okay, what can I do here in order to keep my clients um, money in their pockets rather than paying it to ID within the rules. It's still a good rate, but it's not as high as what I do in my business consulting. Um, so, yeah, I, I totally agree. And that, there's nothing wrong with doing that because if you don't have to pay a person the same amount as you would pay yourself um, because of their qualification or whatever, then I also think it's fair that you don't pass your hourly rate on when that person does the job. Mm. Yeah. Cool. Um, I just want to zoom back to the first question we had there because I just thought of something when you said sign writing. You got a vehicle, right? 
-hmm. if you've got a sign written with promoting your your company whatever that might be florist carpenter whatever mm -hmm. whatever you are baker um business coach um whenever you're driving that around theoretically in my mind anyway you're advertising mm -hmm. is that true <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah you are so i guess i don't know does your questions go does your question go into can you claim your vehicle fully all the time yeah like i'm driving it to the petrol station or to the dairy i Not might get quite. a job yeah it doesn't quite work that way so to give you an example i use my business about uh, sorry my vehicle for about 50 percent of the business i did mm -hmm. not purchase my vehicle through the business i purchased okay. it personally and i'm also not claiming all of my expenses through the business so the the reason i know how much i'm using it for business is because i kept it off for three months mm -hmm. and so that's enough for vehicle for three years to sort of you know get an average amount of how much you're using it for business so what i'm doing is i'm actually claiming 50 percent of my motor vehicle expenses in the business what i claimed 100 percent was the advertising on my vehicle so i'm claiming the sign writing for that 100 mm. percent i don't mm. use it personally right yeah. and the bonus is that yes everywhere i go i've got this big fat tattered vehicle um, and everyone sees it no road rage please uh, but yeah, so there is a difference between using your vehicle for business and um, personal use and having the sign writing on it. You cannot claim your vehicle 100% just because you're sign writing it on it. That doesn't work. But you can claim the sign writing cost of it 100%. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I don't want to go off track. Yeah. <laughs> so well, let's move on to the the last part of this this podcast, mm -hmm. and it is um, how to keep on top of projects and how to overcome cash flow troughs. Yeah. So a, a big thing with projects is it usually takes longer than a couple of days, right? Um. So I, I guess in a sense of, say you're a manufacturer of some sort and you're manufacturing a piece of equipment for someone when when you do that there is absolutely no reason why you shouldn't request a deposit before you even start the job <clears throat> so a common rate is about 30 percent sometimes even 50 and 50 percent full payment on delivery with projects <clears throat> the issue there is is that you have to overcome a cash flow period where you're going to go into your cash flow quite a bit before you get paid. So you have to pay your material, you have to pay your staff in order to do that um, or to manufacture it. <clears throat> you also may have to pay storage for any, you know, depending on how big it is, to store all of that sort of stuff. And that all comes out of your cash flow. So it's absolutely unreasonable to expect you to cover this for one, two months, depending how long it takes, without taking some sort of a deposit or progress payment even. Mm -hmm. um, and you know you just put it in your terms and conditions and it doesn't matter how big or small it is like if that's just your policy stick with it because that enables you to get some cash in to pay for those things and then get the final payment on completion that is one of the things that people don't do because they feel like they can't for some reason um, <clears throat> the other thing is how to keep on top of your thrusts is actually plan out your cash flow cycle for a whole year and that's just a cash flow forecast. It doesn't have to be all flash, but bring in things that you don't see straight away, like your tax payments when they're due. 
uh, your GST payments, because that is another thing when people get their money in, they don't realize that 15% of that is not yours. <laughs> or they realize it and then go, oh, I didn't even put it away. So rule of thumb is any dollar you earn, put about 20%, depending what industry you're in, 20% aside per dollar um, that you earn into a different bank account so you just can't even see it. Don't think about it. Don't even just pretend it's not there. Yeah, that's right. And when it then comes time to um, pay your tax, it's the end. You've got it. If you don't have to pay as much, a bonus, you know, mm. that's good. But it covers ACC, GST, um, income tax. It just really depends on your industry. Like for a lot of my real estate agents, they don't have a lot of overheads. Um, you know, they don't have equipment and stuff. They have a bit of fuel expenses and advertising and things like that. Um, they poor, are what poor flus. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I would actually say, yeah. Pamphlets. That's it. But I would actually say to them, put away 30% of each dollar you earn. You know, it mm -hmm. sort of really depends. If you have a lot of overheads, 20% is probably plenty. Uh, but, yeah, so just cover your troughs by taking deposit payments and progress payments. And also know when your business may be closed. So for Christmas, you know, a lot of tradies are closed for three, four weeks. A lot of them pay... Um, holiday payments out, you know, you still have to pay your wages. These are all things you've got to factor in when your money is coming in. You're thinking about, oh, there's a big, massive bank balance here. <laughs> I'm going to spend it because you've got to think about the troughs that are coming up. And over time, you get used to your business cycle. You get used to when money's coming in high and also when you won't have a lot of cash flow to play with, which is usually around the Christmas period if you're in that um, trading industry. Uh, when you really, I guess some of the things you can do if you find yourself being cash flow poor all the time is one, review your liability. So that's the likes of overdrafts with the bank. That's the likes of loans for different equipment. Because sometimes you're actually better off um, combining those loans by refinancing it with a bank and stretching the payments out over a longer period rather than paying off a lot of little payments. Mm. Um I've done that with a client once and we we, uh, we saved about $5,000 a month by doing that. Um, mm. So I understand whether or not you... Yeah, sorry, what was that? That's a lot of money, 60 grand. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's, it's massive. Um, and also think about if you actually invoicing out everything that you do for the job. So there's things like zero, we love zero, we know that. Um, but zero has a couple of really good costing um, options. One is projects that you can purchase for another $10 a month on top of your um, existing zero subscription. And that keeps track of, if you have smaller projects going on all the time, that's a really good tool because that keeps track of putting your time in that you spend on the job. But also if you, you know, shoot down to Bunnings and get a couple of screws, you think, oh, it was just, you know, a few bucks here and there. Just put it all in there. And then in the end, you actually understand how much you spend. Um, and whether or not you made a profit of those projects. I've got some clients that said to me, man, since I've been doing this, my cash flow is actually really good. Um, another option is Workflow Max, which has also been purchased by Zero not long ago. Mm -hmm. And that's for your bigger companies like your engineers. And um, and it's a massive, massive um, improvement to your cash flow. Again, we've implemented the system with another client and their cash flow has tripled, and I'm not even kidding. So the boys put all their timesheet in. That mm -hmm. gets put straight onto the job. Every 
um, purchase for a job, gets put against that job. So there's a purchase order system in place. I'm not going to lie, it takes a little bit more admin and you probably want to um, hire someone to administrate that for you. But the cost that it costs you to hire someone, you get that back tenfold because you actually make sure everything you buy gets charged out at the end. And it helps you to be more confident to quote because you know what it costs. And if people want to bargain, it gives you a really good stance to say, actually, I can't do it for cheaper because I will be losing money. So these systems are really good and people stay away from it because it's like, oh, it's overwhelming. I don't know. Get someone that knows what they're doing. I promise you that sort of investment will return results. So what was that one called again? So one is zero projects. That's only 10 10 bucks. And I would recommend that if you have a few projects on the go. So smaller projects, really uncomplicated. But if you have stock within your company as well, Workflow Max is the other one. So I would really recommend that for the likes of engineers. I actually use it for my own business. So I keep track of my time um, that I'm spending on my clients. You can set up your staff in there uh, with the hourly rate, what it costs you, um, the margin you're going to put on top of that. And then um, you can also keep track of all your expenses, the time that each staff member spends. And you link them to jobs. So each job has actually got a real good breakdown and a list of the time spent on it as well as the cost of um, material and equipment and things and then in the end you can say whether or not you can see whether or not your quoted amount um was actually matching Mm. what it costs you and usually Mm. we underquote. yeah i've seen it all the time because you think oh it doesn't take as long but build into your quote a really good buffer for stuff that may go wrong and that, that that's not so straightforward as you thought. Mm, so incidental quote, incidental mm-hmm. um, budget line. I have yeah, that in events because you never know what's going to come up. You, exactly. You and it also, um, it also mitigates the risk a little bit for um, the price fluctuations. Mm. So there's nothing wrong with it. Look, if you come in cheaper and you then decide in the end you're not going to charge your customer, it's much even better, you know. Mm. Yeah. That's, a, that's a win. Oh. <clears throat> very, very good podcast, Miriam. Thank you very much for no this worries. one. Solved a lot of my problems, and this come up with um, a new thing I need to try and try and figure out, which is my vehicle. I try to drive I, it around, claim it all back. But anyway, <laughs> I've got an account in there. Figure that, that out. Sort that out for you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's sort that out. Any last words from you? Yes, I would recommend for anybody that is not so like analytically minded, it's absolutely fine. One thing I will recommend to you though is we tend to avoid things that we don't know about. Please challenge it head on. A really good indication is obviously if your bank account keeps going down, your cash flow negative, you need to have a look at your pricing and also at your expenses, making sure you charge everything out that you're paying for the job. Um, try and avoid mates rates because you still have to pay it. Um, and look, every business owner appreciates that business is business. It's not personal. If your bank account goes up steadily, then you you know you can have some sort of uh, peace of mind to actually say you are cash flow positive. Um, consider just a 12 months rough estimation of what are some big ticket items that come up once a year, like your tax or if you're provisional taxpayer. Um, more often just bear in mind 
that you plan for these things. So planning is a real big, uh, big thing, and it doesn't have to be that complicated. And uh, you know, we, we talk about cash flow forecasts and budgets and things like that. Just sit down and see what are, what are my fixed costs each month that I must cover. And then you have an idea of, you know, for each job, if you have to buy, buy piping or whatever it is, it's roughly 30% you want to add on top of that. Um, and also look at, are my hours that I'm doing at work actually chargeable? Or am I spending a lot of my time doing unchargeable work? And is it not better off um, me investing into part-time admin to do some of that stuff that doesn't pay me so I'm freed up to actually focus on the chargeable work because that's why we go out on ourselves because we have a skill and that's really what pays. Everything else can be outsourced, scrapped, delegated, um, and that's where we come into systems and how to do that properly and stuff, but it's probably another podcast. <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. And I also think that if, if you're doing the mahi during the week, you're doing big hours, and then on the weekend you feel like you need to be able to do the books, you're impacting your health and wellness as a person as well. So you need to look after yourself. And I also feel that empower yourself to say no. You don't have to say yes to everything. Mm. No is a full so. sentence, actually. <laughs> yeah. And it's okay. Yeah. It's a, yeah, it's okay to turn things down. You can't yeah. do everything. and no. um, Otherwise, you dilute your quality of work. Uh, and then that impacts you in, a, in, in the longer run. It does. And also, um, in terms of saying no, it's... You know, if you're constantly finding yourself losing money on jobs, especially in the beginning, you're taking on everything because you think, yes, yes. <laughs> but if you're losing money on jobs, you're actually worse off than you were before you even started. So be confident about about your own worth and, and what you're charging because it's okay. If the people don't want to pay it, then they're probably not your people. I had a mm. podcast guest a, a month or so ago, um, Carmen Vislich, and she's, she's a... Uh, superstar entrepreneur and she put it like this is like we're, our team's in the walker and we're paddling towards our destination if we keep going to all the new opportunities that come up and going to this island and shooting to that island we'll never ever get to where we actually want to be yeah. so sometimes you just got to put your blinkers on and be the leader and just say nope we're heading over there and that's how we're going or carry on going forward and just not be distracted by shiny things or new things that you think might be cool. And that is a very, very good analogy. Um, it's like you always find different things that are attractive along the way, but you want to keep rowing the right way 100%. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's wrap it up on that. <laughs> it's a cool way to end. Thank you so much for your time. Miriam, if someone who's listening right now wants to get in touch with you or your business and... Mm -hmm. And you, you feel free to say no to them. Um, but <laughs> where, would, where is the best place for them to um, find out what you do? Cool. So um, the best place is my website, www.futureproofconcepts.nz. Um, all my uh, details are on there, also on LinkedIn and Facebook. So please feel free to message me and get in touch. And yeah, we can sort it out. Awesome. Another cracker episode with you, Miriam. I do appreciate your time. And you have an epic day and carry yeah. on. And thanks for having me again. I really appreciate um, the opportunity and it's always nice talking to you, Craig. Ah, it's good times. All right, thanks so much. Cheers. See you later. Bye. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you're still listening right to the end, you are an absolute legend and we appreciate your time. We hope this one 
added a whole bunch of values for you about business structure, profit versus cash, what to do with your tax, and it's really focused on New Zealand businesses, so it may be applicable for you if you're in the United States, America, or wherever you're listening to it. If you are in New Zealand as well, in November, we have an actual physical festival called the NZ Smeany Festival. So if you want to learn a little bit more about that, jump onto our website, nzsmeefestival.com. Otherwise, have a great day. Keep being awesome and be kind to someone today.